As we prepare to hear God's word read and proclaimed, let us pray. Holy and gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Our scripture this morning comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. Just then, a lawyer stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? What do you read there? He answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have given the right answer. Do this and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, while traveling, came near him, and when he saw him, he was moved with pity. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, having poured oil and wine on them. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, Take care of him, and when I come back, I will repay you whatever more you spend. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. When Jesus told this parable, the parable we typically call the parable of the good Samaritan, he offers this story as an answer to the question, who is my neighbor? It's a parable that reveals the very human tendency to separate and label people according to their outward appearance, their religious affiliation, or their nationality. In Jesus' time, as now, certain people were almost universally labeled as outsiders, as enemies. And for the Jews in that time and place, the Samaritans were such people. To identify someone as a Samaritan was the equivalent of saying of someone today, he is a neo-Nazi or she is Antifa. For most of us, such a label tells us all we need to know about someone. They are the outsider. They are the enemy. They are not one of us. Unlike many of Jesus' other parables, This one doesn't need a few minutes or a few readings to really sink in. As soon as Jesus said, 
a Samaritan came down the road and was the one who not only stopped to help the wounded man, but picked him up and took him to safety and spent his own money to provide for the man's recovery. The minute they heard all of this, Jesus' listeners would have been deeply disturbed. Samaritans were their mortal enemies, worthy of neither respect nor trust. The last thing a Samaritan would do was something good. For his audience, what Jesus describes in this story was simply unimaginable. Now, in this story, Jesus does something else to disrupt his listeners. He labels three out of the four characters, the priest, the Levite, and the Samaritan. But he leaves one character nameless. The one who gets no label is the man by the side of the road, the one beaten and robbed and left half dead. All of his defining characteristics are literally stripped away. Now, since Jesus' listeners were probably not priests or Levites, and they certainly weren't Samaritans, when they heard this story, not only would they have been offended, but the only character with which they could identify was the nameless victim, the man in need. Now, that's an identification few of us would seek out. It's pretty easy for us to say that we would like to see ourselves as the Samaritan in this story, the one who would stop to help someone. But those first hearers would no more have identified with the Samaritan than we would identify with a member of the Taliban. We want to be the ones who help, not the ones in need. My family and I lived in Northeast Ohio for 12 years, first in Akron and then in Cleveland. Not long after we moved to Cleveland, I returned to the Akron area one Saturday to run an errand. I drove most of the way with the gas gauge creeping below empty because I knew of this one particular gas station off the beaten track that was always a good 10 cents per gallon below market. I pulled into the station just in the nick of time and reached for my wallet, but it wasn't there. I had left it at home on the kitchen counter, which meant I had no cash, no credit cards, no identification. I had a checkbook, but the gas station didn't take checks. I found myself entirely dependent on the trust and kindness of strangers And I'll be honest, it was not a good feeling. I used the last of my gas to drive to three different banks before a teller took pity on me and allowed me to write a check in exchange for enough cash to fill up my tank and return home, even though it wasn't my bank. Later, when I got home and told this story to my husband, he looked at me like I was a little crazy. Why didn't you call one of our friends? He asked. We had lived in Akron for seven years. We had many loyal friends who certainly would have driven across town to help me. But it never even crossed my mind to reach out to someone I knew for help. 
I would have looked weak, irresponsible, needy. So clearly, I am someone who does not like to feel or appear needy or dependent. I was one of those toddlers whose first sentences was, I can do it myself. Now for a toddler, that often gets labeled cute. But as we get older, I can do it myself becomes for many of us both a source of pride and a way of life. If the man who had been beaten and robbed had been told ahead of time that a Samaritan was going to be the one to save his life, he might have told those robbers to be sure to finish the job, to leave him all dead and not just half dead. Because in that day, most people would have rather died than accept help or even kindness from a Samaritan. That's how much they regarded them as the enemy. Jesus' answer to the question, who is my neighbor, seems to be, who is the person you would rather die than have them see you in need and extend a helping hand? According to Jesus, this is your neighbor. What? (laughs) I like the idea of my neighbor being the elderly couple across the street or the new young family next door who more or less looks like and thinks like me or who at least agrees to limit our casual conversations to safe topics like sports or the weather. But if Jesus' definition of neighbor is the last person we would want to help us in a moment of dire need, then who is our neighbor? Maybe it's an ex spouse. Maybe it's your boss. Maybe it's someone who bullied you. Maybe it's a politician you cannot stand. Maybe it's the so-called friend who abandoned you. What if our neighbor is the person we would allow to help us only if our life depended on it, if we were so desperate, so needy, that we would set prejudice and judgment aside and receive the help they offered. And what if Jesus tells us this because letting that neighbor help us offers us a glimpse of God's promise that no matter who we are, we are all one. In North Carolina in 1963, a Methodist minister named Vernon Tyson invited Dr. Samuel Proctor, a black man and college president, to preach in Tyson's church. Proctor accepted the invitation, but when the church leaders found out and word trickled into the community, Reverend Tyson began to receive death threats. Despite his best attempts to smooth over the situation and encourage his parishioners to open their hearts and minds, 
the majority of his white congregation remained firmly opposed. The night before Dr. Proctor was scheduled to preach, an emergency meeting of the church's board was held, during which members of the board asked Reverend Tyson whether this one service was really worth tearing the church apart. Then, Miss Amy Womble, an elderly schoolteacher who had taught most people in the room, told this story. Recently up near Chapel Hill, a teenage boy was killed in a car crash, or so they thought. He was by the side of the road and they were waiting for an ambulance to come and take him to the funeral home. But then an airman from the Air Force base stopped. He saw the boy lying there and ran to him and opened the boy's mouth. He saw the boy's tongue stuck in his throat, so he pulled it out and then gave him mouth-to-mouth resuscitation. By the time the ambulance arrived, the boy was walking around alive. The next week, they had a big community dinner for the airmen, celebrating how he'd saved that boy's life. What I haven't told you, Miss Womble continued, is that the boy in the wreck was white and the airman was black. And I want all you parents to tell me something. Which one of you would have said to that airman, now don't you stick your fingers on my boy's tongue? Which one of you would have told him, don't you put your lips on my boy's mouth? The board voted to welcome Dr. Proctor the next day. And after that late Saturday night meeting, three members of the board called Reverend Tyson in tears repentant of the prejudice that had gripped them, one of them told his minister, something happened to me tonight. When Miss Womble was talking, something happened that never happened before. Old love just came up in my heart. In all of the confusion and pain around us right now, during this pandemic and this national reckoning, I wonder if one of the things we are being called to do is open our hearts to that old love, that love that was there at the beginning, that love that was with God, that love that was and is God, that love that is with us even now? What if that old love is what allows us to see the world and our nation and ourselves through the eyes of someone else? Someone whose experience is completely different from our own. What if seeing through their eyes allows us to see more of what God sees? This parable of the Good Samaritan is a parable of old love. Love that transcends all boundaries and overcomes all obstacles. Love that conquers even fear and prejudice and the instincts we all have to label and divide and proclaim, you are not one of us. Old love gives us eyes to see how needy we all are, how deeply we depend on one another, 
how the life Jesus offers is available to us when we are willing to receive it from someone we have labeled other. Old love is what bubbles up in our hearts and moves us to compassion. It's what caused that Samaritan to look at his enemy lying in a ditch and see not nationality or religious affiliation, but his humanity. We are all on a journey of becoming what God has created us to be, one human family. Like that road from Jerusalem to Jericho, it is a dangerous and risky journey. And it is a journey that takes us through fear and discomfort, a journey that invites us to be vulnerable and open. As we travel this road together, may we follow the example of Jesus, who has gone before us, paving the way with old love. Jesus, who loved without distinction, who always moves toward the one in need and invites us to do the same. Jesus, who meets each one of us right where we are to tend to our wounds, to our need, to our deepest pain and greatest fears, and to offer us life abundant. Amen.